It's Friday, October 13th, 2017. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we continue our conversation with John Onwachekwa, and we're just so delighted to be able to host him on the Defender Podcast and excited to continue to hear from him as we learn more about gospel reconciliation and gospel care for the poor, the needy, the vulnerable, and the outcast. Well, I, I know you touched on this a little bit, and and certainly right now today we see, you know, some tense things uh, with white supremacists marching on Charlottesville and, you know, just debates where even our president is calling out those in the NFL who are kneeling during the national anthem. Yeah. But just as a pastor from a gospel's perspective, what do you see in the church is the most prevalent issue of racial reconciliation? And, and what are some, maybe some pastoral words to both uh, specifically our, our white brothers and sisters, but to both our white brothers, and sisters and our black brothers and sisters about how we can reconcile and show that diversity of the body of Christ that you were talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's hard, especially when we use words like most, like it's, yeah. I mean, yeah, we could have an entire conversation about that, but um, it, here's one that I think that serves as a, um, you know, a bottleneck or a stopper that keeps us from really pursuing uh, all of the rest. And I would say um, a, a thing that exists on both sides. I, I think what you have is um, it's, uh, sometimes with our white brothers and sisters, there becomes um, a failure to simply acknowledge wrongs that are done Mm. and listen, right? So we get a lot of folks that um, come in and want to talk about racial reconciliation. um, And the first thing that they think to do is to set an agenda of what needs to be done and to command and control the meetings and to talk and to work through things. And let's get this thing it done on our time frame, where I do think that yeah, part just a huge part of reconciliation, if it is going to uh, take place, it's going to be the people that um, have, yeah, you know, you don't want to use the word power, power and or privilege, just taking some time and saying, I'm going to sit back and listen, um, and mm-hmm. where I initially disagree with conclusions that are being drawn, um, I'm not going to critique those conclusions until I've really been sure that I've comprehended what's all being said. And so I feel like, um, yeah, you know, what's, what's tough is that like, uh, in conversations like these, especially around racial reconciliation, one of the predominant things that I've seen with my white brothers and sisters is They'll sit down, they'll listen, and they'll hear, uh, but it's hearing always with an ear towards or an eye towards, all right, what do I need to do? What do I need to do right now to change, to alleviate the burdens or uh, alleviate the guilt that I feel on the inside? And so I, I just feel like when, yeah, when you want to move to action that quickly, I think sometimes it just uh, 
you're content with very surface understanding of the issues that have gone on, which leads to a very surface solution. It doesn't do anything really. And so I would just say, hey, just take time. Listen, sit back, like really learn. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I love about, you know, a guy like Tim Keller, and it's not just his stuff on race, man, but you look at like anything that he does, um, and it seems like whenever he's presenting an opponent's view in his books and uh, lectures that he gives, like he's just got this knack of being able to understand what his opponents say in a way where he can summarize it better than they would. And they themselves would say, oh, yeah, man, that's a pretty good. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. Um, and I feel like in a lot of these conversations, uh, I think sometimes uh, my white brothers and sisters who are well-intentioned and want to do good um, are just eager and hasty when it comes to solutions. And so I think that a little patience uh, would do a lot of good. Um, mm. Yeah, and that's and a, so I think from our side, from the side of yeah, oh no, no, you can go. I was just saying that's a good word. I, I'd love to hear what you're about to say, but I think that's a good word too because we didn't yeah, get I'm here sorry. overnight, yeah, and we're not gonna had, we're not gonna fix it overnight right. either. Yeah, no, no, no. I agree, um, and that's why I think from our side, I think uh, one of the one of the frustrations that I've seen, um, yeah, you know, just from our side, or I think from the minority side is at, at times is that um, there can be such like, such a like visceral, like anger and frustration as there should be with the way that our world has uh, come into place. And there's an eagerness to see change uh, that there's really a lack of patience for what it'll really take to bring real substantive change. And I think uh, it, when you're constantly pressing people to do, do, do right now, do, do, do right now, or if you don't want to do then don't come and talk to me. Um, then it makes it really hard for uh, people that are slow processors of people that have just fallen so far behind and have so much to learn. It makes them really, it makes it really hard for them to, um, take the necessary time that's needed in order to like learn to make the necessary investment. Um, and so that's why I just think that, um, yeah, that there does need to be a patience on our side. And I think a patience that doesn't come naturally, a patience that's a fruit of the spirit, uh, where we can, um, uh, yeah, where, where we can call for change and change that needs to be done, but we can patiently encourage people towards faithfulness. Uh, what I see a lot of, especially in social media, um, has been shaming people towards faithfulness. Mm. And as a pastor, I, I've just learned that um, that never works. Nobody is discouraged or shamed towards faithfulness. Um, mm we're encouraged towards those end. And, and this is where I just think that, um, yeah, that it's, it's going to take Christians uh, that really have a posture 
of their savior who was, you know, as shrewd as a serpent, but as gentle as a dove to mm. bring about this change. And so um, it, everybody with the badge Christian um, isn't the best for this work. I, I mm. think it's going to take those that uh, really exemplify uh, the tenacity and the tenderness of our savior. Um, yeah. The, reconciliation can't take place without both of those. Amen. Yeah. Well, John, just to, to kind of close this out, obviously you and, and Chandra have gone on this journey of adoption, obviously a lot longer than you had hoped or expected, but now you lead a church that you are also encouraging to have a heart for the orphan and the widow and the vulnerable. Uh, just talk about as a pastor, how are, what are some ways that you've led your church to have a heart for the fatherless? Yeah. Um, so I wish that, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wish that I had a more, um, yeah, substantive answer to this question and just, um, so, you know, one of, yeah, the only thing that I feel like we've really let out in for better or worse is, um, we've just tried to be as transparent um, as we could with our story, uh, both the highs and the lows. And so, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, I'd say that my church has done more for me than I've done for my church and trying to leave them more. Like, we just have a church that's yeah, prayed for us. They've been with us. They've cried uh, for us. And then when we uh, uh, adopted our daughter, um, they've cried like with us and they've seen the joy that's uh, been on our face and in our eyes and they've seen the journey that God has brought us on. And I feel like, man, if there's anything that's transferred in the life of our church or has helped to instill this burden for the fatherless in them, it's, yeah, it's just the fact that they've seen God's faithfulness, God's unbroken faithfulness um, uh, against uh, just our journey and our ups and downs. And our prayer is that our journey lived out openly in front of our church would at least be the first um, step. And there's more concrete things that we hope to do in the future. But yeah, I mean, I wish that there was more, but yeah, right now, I mean, I don't want to, um, yeah, you know, I don't want to be somebody that makes more of himself, more of his work than has actually been done. So, yeah, that's 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 one thing that y'all can be praying uh, for us with in our church. You know, we really do want our church to be uh, just that. Hmm. Well, amen. That was great. Well, I, I appreciate uh, just your humility and transparency in so many of those questions and just confident that those words will truly disciple many and reach many's heart, many people's hearts. So thank you for your openness and your willingness to, to talk. Thank you, brother. Man, I'm grateful. 
Thank you for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.